0: Live. All right. How you doing, everybody? Casey Ryan here again for a special bonus episode of the Cutting Room Floor, a uh, little podcast that I started to showcase any entertainers and creator types from all walks. I like to say if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, then I want to hear from you. Uh, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. I'm on there pretty much all the time. My Twitter handle is at M R V, or you can like me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash CuttingRoomMRV. Um, you can also check out my uh, in my uh, blog there, I actually did a crossover post with a good friend of mine, Casey Sheridan, not too long ago on uh, things that we learned from our house pets. So I got to have a little laugh at my dog's expense. Uh, Casey wrote for my post and I wrote for for hers, uh, and that's Cutting Room for podcast blogspot.com. So that one's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, you know, shoot me an email, uh, Cutting Room at gmail.com with your feedback, good, bad, or ugly. If you want me to make mention of your event or your upcoming release on the show, then I'm more than happy to do that for you as well. and and just help you get the stories out there the, the best way that I possibly can. Um, so earlier on today I, I had a couple of really cool conversations uh, In the, the main show that I normally do From, from two to three uh, Over on the Mix Radio Network uh, Where my friend Voice Nagoka stopped by And we were playing some of his tracks Because he's got an album that's going to be coming out And I was kind of teasing him a little bit Because it's one album that he's been working on For five years But uh, he's going to make it worth it to his fans Because there's uh, like 45 songs on this thing So uh, it's a big, big little Yeah, big, big tome of, uh, of material that he's gonna be coming out with, so i can gonna just imagine what this is gonna look like um and then I also uh had a chat with Mario Rocha and I got my geek on because he is you know one of these martial arts experts who does all these choreographies for these uh uh productions, and he was talking to me about you know what it was like to get hit in the head with a a life model and all this kind of stuff in the movies. And It was really cool. And he's got a uh, an action uh, epic that he's working on uh, with a bunch of his indie buddies as well. And that's going to be uh, on the crowdfunding trail for the next week or so. So again, thanks to uh, to Mario and Voice for that. Um, so I got a couple of friends lined up for the uh, the bonus show here. Uh, Rosemond Dos is here in the first half, and and uh, hopefully Ethan Dettemeyer is going to be uh, able to stop by to plug a, a charity a project that he's working on because he gets involved in a lot of them this time of year. Uh, but Rose actually is one of the better friends that I've actually made in the process of doing the show in the last six years. she um, been a supporter of mine for a long time. I've had a lot of fun watching her career. I remember when she first got into film school and she started sending me these little projects and commercials and all these kinds of fun things and I watched every last one of them and you know she's been a huge supporter of mine and I, I've been one of hers too. So uh, she's a writer and director and producer, uh, great career ahead of her, uh, just finished work on her um, on her master's thesis, which was a short called Laundromat, we're going to be talking about that, a uh, nice little slice of film noir there for you, Uh member of my repeat offenders club, and, and again, one of my uh, most loyal supporters in France, so uh, without further ado, the cutting room floor proudly welcomes back, Rose Mendoza. Rose, how are you?
1: Hi, Casey. I'm doing great. Thanks for that introduction.
0: Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask. It's been a while, it's been a while since I spoke with you. Uh, did I get all of your bio information right, or was that close enough?
1: Uh, you sure did. Thank you.
0: Okay, great. Great. So uh, you, you did let me get a a sneak peek at, at Laundromat, right? Uh, great little piece of film noir that you had there. Very, very authentic looking, I thought. Uh, what can you tell us about that?
1: Uh, Well, Laundromat is a a film that came from a script that I started working on in my Fundamentals of Screenwriting class um, when I was still in film school. This was back in 2012 uh, that I actually started working on it. Um, So to be able to finally make the film in in 2015, it was quite a journey for me. Um, And it came from... Growing up watching uh, classic films and classic TV shows like um, Alfred Hitchcock pre- Presents and uh, The Twilight Zone, I loved watching that stuff when I was a kid. I probably shouldn't have been, but I, I loved it. And uh, and I just remembered that, and that's, that's where the script came from. I just wanted to um, write something that was film noir, but make it a neo-noir so that I could incorporate modern elements into it. And then, um, just put it into a setting that you wouldn't expect so i I ended up doing a lot of writing at the laundromat and uh and it just kind of came together that way. I thought, well, what if I put a neo noir film um in a laundromat? What would that look like and then I took these characters and sort of molded the the story about annie she's uh she's a widow, and her husband was killed and uh You know, there's no, the the police can't find the murderer. And in traditional film noir, um, you know, the woman is the damsel in distress and the the detective comes in to rescue her. But in my film, I wanted to make it a twist where she sort of, she solves her own case and, and makes her, finds her own way to get through that. So it kind of changes it up a bit.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean it was a typical, like you said, there was a plot twist in there, and you don't really you you kept enough hidden, but you know that that I I, it wasn't a dead giveaway for me, which I which I thought was kind of cool. You know, there's there's lots of stories like that where you know is this friend really a friend kind of thing, but but uh, you had an interesting slant on it.
1: Yeah, and and uh, and I made it so that. It's not 100% sure who is the the killer or who is not. Like everything is sort of implied, so you can draw your own your own conclusions from it. Um, I really wanted to make it a a mystery that that you would, as the audience member, be doing the detective work and see if you could stay one step ahead. So it was a lot of fun uh, for me, especially when we were making the film. It was like seeing my dreams come to life, literally, because I had a lot of dreams about these characters, and they were sort of haunting me until I got the project finished. <laughs> so um, to see it happen, I, I think I was like a giddy nine-year-old again the day that we did both the uh, the murder scene and the, the interrogation scene in the same day, and I thought it was fantastic.
0: You know, I, I, I mean, I've said this about your work many times before, you know, both offline end when you're on here, but every single one of the projects that you've sent me that I got a chance to watch was better than the last one, and, and this was just a, it seemed like a, a, you know, a great big step, and I, I, you know, I was proud for you when I saw that. I said, you know, this is not the, the same filmmaker that I saw three or four years ago.
1: Thank you so much, Casey. That means a lot. Yeah, I, I've just been, uh, you know, getting, getting my hands on as many uh, film sets as I can, learning as much as I can, and working with some of the, the greatest people, you know, creative minds and really intelligent people. And um, I, I've been very fortunate to work with the same group of filmmakers um, within the last few years that, that we have a solid thing going and we can trust each other and we can communicate. And it's, it's very important to have that. And so if you don't have it, your, your film project is going to suffer if you can't. Uh, trust the people you're you're working with, or you have communication breakdowns. I mean, sometimes that kind of stuff happens on set. But if you if you see it happening and you can ha- find a way to work through it together, then you can keep going. You can pick up and keep going, and find different ways to address those kind of things.
0: Uh, now, this was an important step for you in the sense that that this really was, uh, you know, the film that. For lack of a better word, I mean it, it. It helped you graduate, right? This was your your master's thesis or your uh, your senior thesis, right?
1: Yes, that's correct. So it was really really huge, um, not only for me but also for the uh, for the other um, graduates in my class. And there there was only a handful of us, uh, you know, like five or six people make it at the end. You know, when we're commenting on you know how when you start out. Um, at At my school, we're a small school anyway, but we start out with maybe like thirty people, and by the end of it it's whittled down to maybe five or six people and so by the time by the time you make it to the end, you know you're just you're really solid with each other and you get to know each other pretty well and and kind of root each other on to say you know hey we we made it to this point.
0: Now, uh, in terms of the actors, I mean, you had two of them that did really good jobs in there. The, the third one is sort of a marginal character, by your own admission, right? But, but um, how did you decide on your two leads in that?
1: Um. Well, mainly the the villain character. I named him Dr. Rod Sterling um, after well, the the Twilight Zone. Um, host Rod Serling is without a T, so I put a T in the name so I can still, you know, make a nod to the Twilight Zone without taking the actual name. And uh and I got some uh some just amazing actors for that. Um for the villain um Eric Jorn Sunquist. He just had such a unique uh take on the character and I thought he was the ultimate villain. Um, you know, he just really embodied the character and, and put his own twist on his mannerisms and everything, and I thought it was great. And then, of course, my uh, lead actor, Janessa Olsen, um, playing the widow, Annie, um, she, just, she, she just really took on that role and took it seriously without over-dramatizing it. So mainly it was those two actors, and we did everything we could to work around schedules and do what we had to do to get them in there.
0: Well, no, and I would agree that she, she didn't over-camp it, but, I mean, there was just enough of that. I mean, it was a suspense piece that's supposed to be set in the 50s, right? So you're going to have one of those those blood-curdling screams that wouldn't be complete if you didn't have one of those, right? Right,
1: yeah, to a certain extent, but uh, but I, I was uh, careful, and, and we, we all felt that way that... Um, you know, we didn't want to make it to the point where it was comedic, <laughs> And there were some, some things that were definitely difficult to film. Uh, like there's a death scene where we were, in, we were in the laundromat. And the laundromat that we had, it was great. It was in this um, little town on the other side of Berkeley, California, called Albany, California. And the only Albany I'd ever heard of was in New York. So it was kind right. of surprising. So this little laundromat that we were in, it was carpeted. So we had to lay down like these big sheets of plastic so that the fake blood didn't get on the the carpet there. So it was like this big sort of thing. And we could only do one take. So it was like very intense moment. And, uh, And someone, I forget who it was, sort of recorded me. I didn't know they were recording me. You know, with their phone, I've got to get a hold of this behind the scenes. You know, just of my face when that scene happened, because I knew it was, was our only chance to do it, just one one time, and we got it. I thought I was I was really proud of that that finished product.
0: Well, it's nice that you have that that little souvenir too, that that uh, you you know capturing that that important moment in your career where where you got that on right. The... Right.
1: I mean, yeah, it's like a. You know, films are like almost like a playground for where adults get to be kids again. It's like where you get to be in the castle and you you make your own castle. I was thinking about that a lot, and and so me and uh, my cinematographer Nathan Dan, we were we had like this sheet of plastic all on the floor, but we also had it on the equipment because we didn't know you know how crazy this fake blood would be flying everywhere. <laughs> Who knows? so we had it on the camera and and we were like huddled together under this sheet of plastic and we were like a couple of kids you know ready to see the show happen you know it was great
0: so i i know that you you, know, you let me and a few other you know people that, that you know a little bit better actually see it but but what ultimately is the plan on this rose to to put it out there for other people to be able to see i think you mentioned that you were uh, in the preliminary stages of setting it out to a couple of festivals or something like that, right?
1: Yes, um, yes. As soon as I'm I'm able to work on it a little bit more, because what I'd like to do is make a nice um, a nice DVD set, or you know, probably like DVD and Blu-ray to have maybe two discs, one for um, the film, and then I have uh, a couple different versions. Because what ended up happening was was not long after the premiere, um, a friend of mine who was a former professor, also he's he's still a professor at the art institute. His name's Steve Mahalo, but he's also an artist um, and teaches typography and art history. He really liked Laundromat, so he asked me if he could have a copy of the film to put an experimental um, soundtrack on of his own and have it be part of his art show that ran for for an entire month um, in September. So at the end of September, it was the last day of the art show, and um, we showed experimental soundtrack version, like an art house version of the film, and I thought that was a lot of fun. So I want to I wanna make special features where other people can see those versions too, and um, and just a ton of stuff that you don't see in the film but is there, like. Um, When we worked with Brooklyn Overton, our practical effects artist, um, to try different ways of doing the death scene and working with the fake blood, that was uh, the first time I'd had that experience of working with that kind of thing. So I wanted to pull somebody in who, um, who, you know, that's their main thing and what they do. So we have test footage for that, and I want to put that on there and... Um, you know, maybe some other uh, sort of bonus features that I'd like to add. So once I have a little package put together, then we can start going out to film festivals, and um, I think it'll be a blast.
0: No, I've I got to ask you this. I'm, I'm going to go fanboy on you, because like like a lot of people, I grew up watching this guy's stuff. But I, I saw that you had the opportunity to, to meet Stephen Tobolowsky as, as a result of something else that you were doing recently. Uh, yes. Yes. A uh-huh. on 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 how to do that. On, on, on how you got uh, that opportunity.
1: Uh, well, recently, in fact, it was just um, just on Friday night slash Saturday morning. Because I got home at about three in the morning on on Saturday after we had wrapped. Um, it was a feature length uh, independent film. That it was right after I, I did the portfolio show. Um, you know, right after uh, the final finals week and doing Portfolio Show, and, and it was the last of film school. The very next day, I was on set, um, and it's called Mama Boy. It's a, it's a comedy about a teenager who becomes pregnant uh, in high school and has to figure out how to deal with that and uh, and, you know, what you might think about the high school environment and how people respond to it. So... It's interesting on that level, but it's also a comedy. So I was called in to be a second second assistant director uh, where you have you know you have the director and then the first assistant director, then you have the second assistant, and I was the second second. So we kind of had a team of assistant directors um, on that project, along with the production coordinator and it was a big production. it was the biggest that I've worked on so far. And uh, what it allowed me to do was be able to learn a lot in a very short period of time about, you know, the production side of a of a feature-length film and also allowed me to spend a lot of time uh, with the talent um, because it was a union shoot, so the the Screen Actors Guild and they have all these, you know, rules that you have to follow. So I was there with the paperwork, making sure everything was, you know, signed and all the times were there, so... I spent a lot of time with the talent and getting to know them. And one of those people uh, was Stephen Tobolowsky, and he gave a, a very um, inspirational speech at the Capital Film Arts Alliance. Uh, we had a meeting on one of our one of our nights off, and he just talked about how he came up, just like we we are, um, you know, where you have times where you don't know where your next check is coming from, and. And, you know, sometimes when it's just really hard, but you find a way to keep going because it's something that really matters to you. And it was very pivotal for me because, you know, I'm at the same point in my life. I'm like, well, you know, I've graduated from film school and, and what's next for me, you know? So it was, it was great, great to meet him and talk with him. He's he a very um, kind and genuine person.
0: He, he strikes me as that way, like you don't see him giving a lot of interviews and things like that but but uh just with very little that I have heard about him that that he's one of these real article people you know what I mean
1: he is, and um he was only on set for for two days, but in those two days, I felt like it sort of elevated everything where you know he just he just brings that with him wherever he goes i think
0: you know and it's got be encouraging for you too that i you know here you are. You know, fresh out of film school, a lot of people go hungry for a long time trying to find a project and, and things like that. I mean, you had a really, that that sounded to me like an invaluable opportunity to, to have fresh out of film school.
1: Yes, I felt like it was once in a lifetime, um, you know, and if anything, it, it was an incredible start. Because uh, when I started out in film school, I made a promise to myself that by the time I graduated, I would have a job in my hand. I had no idea how I was going to work that out. But lo and behold, I mean, next day I was working on, on the set. Um, I was requested by the, the director, Aaron Leong, who I went to school with for a short time because he graduated from the Art Institute in 2012. But we always kept in contact. And I think that's the advantage of going to a smaller school in a smaller area that's not, not as well known for film production. I think it's a best-kept secret. Um, because you know we're able to have a, a tight knit um, film community and creative community.
0: Well, and yeah, like, like you said, right? It, it's uh, you know the the, the closeness and the, uh, the friendships that you're able to to have. I mean, you never know where people are going to wind up either, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm I'm so proud to see um, you know one of my friends and and one of the people that I've worked with on on a few films here and there just go on to direct the feature, that's one of the greatest things that you could ever think to happen, you know, for one of us.
0: Um, The other project I know that you were working uh, fairly aggressively on for a long time, Rose, and I I even had um, the the director, Sean Stuvio, on here to talk about it, was, uh, was the Tahoe Ghost, right? And I know that that's still in the news for you.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm also very excited about the Tahoe Ghost because um I don't know if you've ever been to Tahoe, but it's a gorgeous area, and we were very lucky with our locations because every everyone out there was so kind and and helpful to us, which is great because you know we're we're working on such small budgets, and we really don't have um a lot of money to to put into. Um, you know, like what you would expect uh, a studio project. They've got, like, a lot of a lot more funding than we do, you know, to the tune of, like, millions. But we don't. We You know, we only have what's in our pockets and maybe we, what we can get from our aunts and uncles and our friends and things like that. So for us to be able to do something like the Tahoe Ghost where we're filming in one of the most beautiful spots, and um, we ended up out on an old decommissioned highway, that is now uh privately owned and it's gorgeous nobody goes out there we were able to film there with no uh traffic and um it's pretty much unheard of to get something like that
0: and how far away is the tahoe area from from where you're based
1: um from from where we are uh roughly 80 miles or so
0: okay so it's a good hike right
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah
0: and uh where are you at with uh with that film now i mean uh you know has, has that been released yet or um
1: we had our premiere on the same same night which was incredible both laundromat and the tahoe ghost you know sort of playing in the in the same premiere to have a, a film that i uh, wrote, directed, and produced, and then have another film that I produced and a good friend of mine directing. So it was kind of like, wow, you know, that's something you don't see every day. <laughs> and uh, so it's in post-production now. I think one of the biggest things for the Tahoe Ghost was uh, for Sean to be able to have the, the post-production audio worked on by Skywalker Sound. And um, that opportunity came up for him, because he knew someone who knew someone, so was able to get the film worked on, you know. And so, I mean, that's you can't get better post-production sound quality than Skywalker. It was no, I mean, kind of yeah, that, that's
0: that, that's a name that that uh, you know that any you know movie fanboy would would recognize, right? There's
1: absolutely that you
0: know, doesn't matter how many the opportunity when when you hear that one word. People come running. <laughs> oh, no, I
1: know. It's it's unreal. So he um he was able to go to Skywalker Ranch and see their post production sound facilities, and I can't even imagine, that, you know, wh- what it was like for him. You'll have to have him on again and talk about it.
0: Yeah, I, I would be pretty dumbstruck myself. I would think, you know, just
1: yeah, yeah you know, part,
0: part, part of part of you is thinking, oh my, you know, I'm here to work. I'm here to work. I'm here to work. And, the other part's going, holy shit! I'm in Skywalker Ranch, you know, and you know you, you have a hard time kind of separating the two.
1: So. Right, it's it goes back to that, you know, just you're you're adults, but you're on the playground again, you know.
0: And I, I know that you were proud of the. Uh, I read a piece on uh, on Facebook, I think it was on the uh, on the Tahoe Ghost page that you're proud of the music that you got to to use with it. Uh, yes, the the um, composer who.
1: Um, I, you know, I don't know too much about the composer, um, actually, but the the music piece, um, that was, that's something you'll have to ask Sean about. But yeah, I think it's uh, just beautiful. So, uh, so yeah, when we have DVDs out for the Tahoe Ghosts as well, um, I'll have to see if we can uh, send you one, you can check that out too. Um I know that that the uh, the trailer is available online and has some of that music in it. Um if you look up the Tahoe Ghost on uh on YouTube, you should be able to find that.
0: Now, at this point in your career, I'm kind of curious looking back, right? You you've had a chance to do commercials, you've you had a chance to work on news pieces. I remember you sent me a little report of, of something that you'd done. Uh, you know, a bunch of different things. Right. Do do, do you find looking back on that that there're you know, was one genre or medium that you worked on that you thought was a lot more fun than you would have expected?
1: I was just talking about this the other day to to someone who used to work in news, and I don't know exactly how it came up, but um, when when I was going to school at the Art Institute, I took a multicam class, which is, you know, we learn a little bit of everything, um, at the Art Institute, and in Sacramento is a news town. So one of the things they teach us is how to work in the studio and um, how to work with multiple cameras. And I had a lot a lot of fun in the multi-cam class because they put me on a camera. And, you know, I don't usually operate the camera. I usually am, am, you know, on the production office side. So to be able to have fun with the camera at these events, uh, one of the things we did and this is appropriate because we're in October to talk about. It was, uh, it was an Adams Family musical uh, done by a local theater group out of Roseville. And, uh, and that's a town sort of uh, north of Sacramento, just in, uh, well, not north, but like east of Sacramento. And it was small, but it was a great production. And uh, I was on one of the, the cameras for that, and I just had a great time with it. It was a lot of fun.
0: Is that something that you think you'd like to do more of, working on a newscast? I mean, that, that to me looks like a, a you know hell of a thrill right When you when you think of those guys and the pressure that they're under to you know do everything live and they're working with such tight time constraints. I mean, that you know that that would be a real roller coaster, I would think.
1: It is from you, from what I've heard. It's very fast paced, um, very stressful. And and in news you only get you only have that split second to think about something, especially when you're live. You know, you don't get um any any second takes, second chances. You just really have to make that split second decision and uh and hope it's the right one. And the people who are tailor made for news, I mean they're I don't know how they how they do it. They just they just sort of have that sense of where it where it needs to go. And um you know i think i could if if the right opportunity came along but for now i'm i'm pretty happy doing uh you know freelancing and and working on films mostly i feel like is where my heart lies just because i enjoy producing uh films so much and and the creative pursuit and trying to figure out how to make that work um you know without losing the quality of the film it's good
0: that you can work at your own pace and, and uh, you know do stuff that you enjoy. And, I mean, you know, beyond that, there's no point to it,
1: <laughs> right? Oh, I know. Yeah. So I, I feel extremely blessed um, for the journey so far. And I'm really excited to see what happens next. And on one hand, it's scary to live like that because, again, you don't know. Um, you know where your next paycheck is coming from, but when things go right, it is incredible, and you just—it's a sense of fulfillment that I've—I've—I ne- never had in my professional life before I um, went to film school. But once I once I went to film school, it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, this is where I was always supposed to be, and I, I wish I'd figured this out sooner.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the way I look at it, though, and, and I mean, I'll equate this to podcasting too, right, is that there's a time and a place for everything, right? And, and, you know, it's it's not a matter of, you know, wishing that you'd found out earlier. It's it's waiting for the right time to come. Uh, you know, I think that there was probably something, if you look back on it, that, that said that you'd reached a certain point in your life where you're probably ready to take something like this on.
1: Yeah, that's that's a very good point, Casey, because I had, I had a 10-year break between uh, graduating high school and going to college, where I just worked, I worked any jobs that I could find, and and it was a long time before I I really thought about what I wanted. Um, so that is a good point, and uh, and of course the phrase of "to everything there's a season" that's something that I believe in as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, uh, on the subject of something else that you believe in, uh, we'll we'll use this as our last topic of the day here, Rose. But but um, you asked me to bring up the um, the Empire Arts Collective because this is something that uh, you and your friends are uh, are feeling fairly strongly about now.
1: Uh, yes, it's a campaign that just barely launched on on Indiegogo. So if you look up the Empire Arts Collective, uh, Sacramento is where it's going to be based. I think it's a it's a great idea by a friend of mine who uh, was in one of my films uh, that was a comedy short called The Wingman, and she also uh, directs her own comedy show um, called That Plus Chips, which is sort of like a, a hilarious little um, comedy improv show, but with a lot of great talent and it's sort of shoestring, but it's fantastic. And... Um, her and her business partner, Emily, they want to start this Empire Arts Collective, which is like a co-working space, but um, geared towards creative people, like in film, theater, photography, and, and those sort of things, to have like one space that we can share for our creative pursuits. So ideally, um, you know, for example, I would be able to have an office there for my production company and a place to work I'd be working with people that I know and, and um, who are local to the community. So I think it's a, it's a great project um, to check out. And I, I hope that it becomes successful so that we can have more creative people that can work um, locally, which I feel is very important to keep our, our people local.
0: Well, I mean, the other thing is too is that that uh, I mean, this is everybody benefits because you're you're basically pooling resources at that point, right? That that uh, you know you're giving each other access to resources that you otherwise wouldn't, and, and you know you're right. I'm you know I can count you know, many, many times over the, you know, the number of brainstorming sessions that I've had with people where I had a problem that I thought I couldn't fix at the office. But, but uh, you know, just informal chit-chat, right? Sometimes you're mm-hmm. exposed to things in order to be able to to adequately see them. So, I, I, you know, that to me sounds like a really healthy environment that you're trying to, uh, you know, cultivate there.
1: Right. And I, I think that no matter who you are or where you're from or what um, what kind of work, you're in when you contribute to, um, to something that is for independent um, creative minds then, then you win you know even when you work a different kind of job you, you still want to come home and, and watch your favorite show or go out to the, the theater you know it's something for everyone
0: so what's next for you then have you decided on your next project or have you, uh, you know, where do you go from here
1: uh well, I'm looking into producing a couple more uh short narrative films um and the material is actually a little bit darker, so I wanna explore um some darker material because I like sort of looking into different uh genres and I feel like i learn learn more from it, and I don't get stuck doing like one particular kind of film, so um that'll be interesting and and uh working with more um female filmmakers as well. Um, and just sort of building a, building my portfolio for my production company, and I'll be doing some uh, freelance work. Um, so I'm available for that, and thing I can do other things too, like social media management. I'm a, I'm as crazy on Twitter as you are, Casey. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah. I mean, so, that, that, that can be addictive, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you realize how many how many connections that you make, and and some of the lasting friendships that you make too, right? And, and uh, that that I'll, I'll agree to that. It, it frustrates me to no end when I see people in in business or even personally that aren't using it the way that it can be used, because you you, you see the, you know the power of what that kind of stuff can do, right?
1: Oh, I know. There's so much potential there, and and I feel like it's a good way to connect. Um, you know like uh you and i wouldn't know of each other otherwise so it's amazing like you can just open doors you just you never know what's out there and uh so so yeah i'm i'm trying to leave myself open to new opportunities because you know i i really don't know don't know yet um on on most of it just whatever comes along and uh i just work on as much as i can um creatively and and hope that it takes me where I need to be.
0: Well, Kathleen Kennedy is listening to this. I read an article in uh, on CNN or one of those websites that I, uh, I'm addicted to uh, that said that they were looking for more female directors and filmmakers to work on the Star Wars films. So here you go. Here's a lead, right? So, uh,
1: yeah.
0: All right. Uh, so, Rose, any closing thoughts before we shut this down?
1: I just want to say that I um, I appreciate what you do for um for the independent uh film community and um for authors too and, and like all the things that you do that's why I'm such a big uh, fan of your show, Casey, and of you as a as a person. I think that we definitely need um people like you to keep sort of shining a light on, on what we do and and uh and you know reaching out
0: so well, that I we know. don't... Anyway, I, yeah. First of all, thank you very much for the compliment, and, and I'll also say that I wouldn't invest as much effort as I did if it wasn't so much damn fun. I mean, I I,
1: oh, I, I I
0: know I know that for me, you know, a guy who spent his summers buried in the basement watching movies all the time, you know, being able to to get up on a Sunday morning knowing that I'm going to be talking to people that are actually making the things. I mean, this is this is a lot of fun for me. So, uh, you know, this works both well both ways. All right.
1: That's great. Thank you so much, Casey.
0: So that's going to about do it for us this week. I'm going to be back again. Uh, I've got some more material coming up, uh, you know, in the next few days. So keep looking for that. Again, thanks again to to Rosman Donson for stopping by today. Uh, Ethan Dotmeyer was going to be here. Looks like we're going to be uh, rebooking him. He's probably uh, he's got a busy, busy schedule. That guy and uh, good friend as well. But uh, again, Ethan, if you ever want to come back, we're we're more than happy to have you whenever you like. So until then, on behalf of my guest, Rosamond Donson, you've been listening to Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor. Shout out to Argentina because Ivana is still listening to my shows. This woman in Argentina is one of my biggest fans, has been listening to every single one of the shows that I've done in for like the last three years. So, I'm, you know, this is incredibly motivating, and Ivana, you're a really nice person too, so thanks a lot for that. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon. Cut, print, wrap, and I am done.